I don't think you understand. These boys killed my dog. Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast training a cinematic sniper scope on films where helicopters explode. Now, it seems you can't be the American president without someone wanting to kill you. Over the years, no fewer than four residents of the Oval Office have been murdered, and you can find failed and thwarted plots against anyone who's ever held the job. As you'd expect, Hollywood hasn't been shy about exploiting the dramatic possibilities of these presidential plots. And over the years, we've seen actors as diverse as John Malkovich, Gary Oldman, Burt Lancaster, and even Frank Sinatra have a go at bumping off the prez. So on this show, we're looking at the movie which gave us Mark Wahlberg having a stab at the job, 2007's Shooter. To help me review the film, I've carefully selected a patsy who can be easily disposed of after the tasks completed. Joining me on the grassy knoll is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Hello, mate. Does that make me the comedy sidekick to your like main actor role? I don't know if you're the you'd be the comedy sidekick. I think you perhaps more the the sort of the irritating sidekick. The Joe Pesci of this podcast. <laughs> that's disgusting. That's, that, that is offensive. As long as you end up uh, like Joe Pesci in uh, Casino, having your head squeezed slowly in a vice. <laughs> I think that would make me happy. I think it would. I think, yeah, that's, you know, the powers that be, Exploding Helicopter HQ, work in mysterious ways. I will watch my back. But normally on Exploding Helicopter, we like to celebrate uh, films where helicopters explode. But uh, today, I think we are gathered to cast an eye over one of the grimmest chapters in the uh, Exploding Helicopter canon. I don't know what your sort of early feelings on this film are, Dara. Oh, well, do you mean the the opening sequence where we fail to see the helicopter actually explode? Is I this do, what you're... I do mean that opening sequence. And I, and I even mean the, the later actual exploding helicopter sequence is, I think, uh, you know, one of the darkest uh, chapters in exploding helicopter history. I, I do see where you're coming from. I do see where you're coming from. The actual scenes are lovely, but they don't give us the payoff that we have, you know, we've been spoiled over the years with gargantuan explosions right in your face with all the detail. And here, for a, a director who's not known for his subtlety, he kind of <laughs> hides his light behind a bushel when it comes to the explosions. He does indeed. And uh, it's hard to quite, it's hard to understand why he chooses to do that. But uh, we could perhaps get into all of that later. But Mm -hmm. as we're talking about Shooter, which is a, a film about an army sniper, what I wanted to ask you, Dara, is do you think you've got what it takes to be a cold blooded killer? Do you think you could look down a sniper scope and take someone's life? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I suppose if I was doing it on behalf of uh, Queen and Country, then uh, if that was my job, there is a sort of satisfaction about sniping someone from a distance. (laughs) As a man who's not done it in real life, but played a few computer games in his time, I always find the sniping things a lot more satisfying. One bullet is all it takes. None of this, like, spraying uh, an Uzi around to do the job. I like to, I'm a, an efficient killer, I like to think. So a sniper's probably more up my alley. I, I think also the other aspect that is probably up your alley is that you're probably thousands of yards away from where real danger is, you know, safe <laughs> and secure, and that you can you can do your killing from that sort of vantage point. Yeah, I'd be I'd basically in one of those uh, all-in-one... Uh, onesies like a comfy one really nice <laughs> but but camouflaged so i'd be lovely and warm do my business there we could have a, probably have a couple packets of crisps before 
the uh, the cavalry arrive to clean up my mess and I'll be away. I'll be in a, heli- in a helicopter away somewhere safe. Yeah, definitely, definitely sniper role for me. I think we should definitely do future episodes of the Exploding Helicopter Podcast dressed in camouflage onesies. So uh, I've already got a contract lined up with Primark, so uh, watch this space. That sounds good. Okay, well, I think it's time for us to take aim at Shooter. So let's listen to Danny Glover and Mark Wahlberg have some sort of bizarre whispering competition. Bubbly Swagger, you're a hard man to find. I'm not hard enough. There's going to be an attempt on the life of the president. The shot will be taken from beyond a mile. Five or six men in the world make a shot like that. We need you to stop it. Out of all the men alive on the planet, you're one of the few people who knows what to look for. This guy knows what he's doing. You gotta take him. This is a setup. Take him. Take him now. Shooter came out in 2007. Mark Wahlberg plays the brilliantly named Bob Lee Swagger, a disillusioned army sniper who's coaxed out of retirement to help stop a plot to kill the president. But nothing is what it seems, and Wahlberg is double-crossed and framed for the assassination attempt, after which the former Funky Bunch rapper goes on the run to find the real killer and the reason he was set up. Also starring in the film is Danny Glover as a shady CIA official and Michael Peña as an FBI agent who helps out Wahlberg. There are also small but important roles for Kate Mara and Ned Beatty. The film was directed by Antoine Fuqua, who made Training Day and The Equalizer. He also directed a film we reviewed recently on the Exploding Helicopter podcast, the knife-sploitation classic Olympus Has Fallen. Shooter has a 7.2 rating on IMDb, while Letterboxd users have given it an average rating of 3.1 out of 5. On balance, the critics are generally harder on the film. The Boston Globe said it was a stylish but essentially business-like smash-and-crasher, while USA Today said that, despite awe-inspiring fiery explosions, gaping holes in the convoluted plot make Shooter heavier on style than substance. The film did okay business at the box office, returning just under $100 million from a budget of $61 million. There's never been a sequel, but oddly, the film has been reborn as a TV series with Ryan Felipe taking on Wahlberg's role. But uh, let's find out, Dara, let's find out from you what you thought of Shooter. Yeah, I was um, pleasantly surprised. I, I noticed, actually, that the Netflix have just created, they've commissioned as an exclusive for Netflix, a Shooter series. But um, it's, a, it's an odd one to kind of reboot because the reviews for it are, are very mixed. Um, I personally really enjoyed it. It took me back to some sort of the some of the 80s films. There's a lot of Rambo, obviously, in this film. It's a it's all about a man kind of at odds with the government who has to fend for himself while he's being chased. They've nicked vast waves of uh, you know influence from from the Rambo franchise. Mark Wahlberg, I is quite believable as a as a very um, skillful sniper who's now in civvy world trying to clear his name from fantastic action sequences. The only thing I, th- I think it lacked, if, if it was going to be kind of the 80s action staple, was a bit more comedy from the sidekick. Michael Peña is good, but he's not really very funny. And he's also not very believable as a, mm. you know, because he has to train him up to be a, a, a his, his wingman, his, his lookout, his spotter in a ridiculously short space of time. And they show him blowing up a couple of watermelons and suddenly he's a, <laughs> you know, he's a fully equipped sort of uh, yeah. 
eagle-eyed assassin. Um, I didn't really buy that bit. Well, he but... goes from being a completely bumbling FBI agent who can barely get his gun out of his holster to, as you were saying, some sort of stone-cold killer assassin who can, you know, shoot people from a thousand yards away. It is rather a fantastic conversion from doofus to uh, cold-blooded killer. It's a good casting, I think, for him. He could have been a lot more comedy or he could have been, um, I think he's capable of doing that, or they could have done a little bit more, like he, he at least has some sort of background as a in the military or, or anything, mm. but it's not very believable that bit. But that said, you've got to suspend your disbelief like you did in the 80s with this film. You know, there's some cigar chomping bad guys there, typical shady government people. So kind of all those kind of bad guy bases are covered. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Well, I thought this was a solid thriller. I think it's got a lot of run-of-the-mill ingredients. I think, you know, this sort of plot is one that we've seen quite quite a lot of times before. But what elevates this film is the fact that you've got some good actors. You've got Mark Wahlberg, you've got Danny Glover, and you've got some very well-staged action sequences Mm. in this film. And I think that those elevate this into being, you know, a really solid thriller, something that you can you can put on and enjoy. I would say I was re-watching this, obviously, for this podcast. Probably it's fair to say I'm not going to watch this film again. There, there isn't anything really special about it. You know, the dialogue isn't particularly great. The performances no. aren't particularly great. Everything is good or very good, but there isn't anything here that would really make me come back to this film again and again. No, it's it's it doesn't. It's not it's not a classic. It is good, solid entertainment. And dialogue-wise, it, it's not a patch on the classics. But um, it's take. I think this is taken from a book. The, um, mm. this actual story and apparently it's one in um, a few there's a few few of these books knocking around with this with swagger as a lead character so obviously they never decided to make a sequel but they have decided to reboot the franchise which is odd yeah well i mean just on that tv series which as you said has been produced seemingly out of nowhere yeah. uh, by netflix decided to uh, pick up this property and reboot it as a tv series and it has actually gone through to a second series and i haven't watched it myself but a good friend of the show simon lenick a good friend of yours as well dara he has he has uh he has watched the show and uh i got him to give me his thoughts on it and he said that uh it was very sort of predictable derivative uh that the whole sort of the plot ended up being a bit of a mess really but it had much like the film much like the film but it was sort of nice and pacey sort of slick stylish and it was sort of like one of those sort of classic guilty pleasure type tv shows yeah, I mean, they would have had to really adjust the plot in order to get out of some of these quite large plot holes and ridiculous sort of leaps of faith that you have to go through, um, which they could have done quite easily, made it a little bit more realistic in a, in a series. But uh, I guess you'd maybe take some of the sort of fantastical mm. elements out and it's not as interesting. Yeah, an odd an odd one to reboot. But as I say, the film, pretty good. It was, just, it, was it was much better than I thought. Well, this is essentially a kind of conspiracy thriller at its heart so i thought it might be worthwhile if we examined the quality of the frame up on uh, mark Wahlberg's character and i don't know what 
you felt but i thought there were some elements of it that were really good so i i did enjoy how mark Wahlberg's character is reeled in so he's this outsider who's been betrayed by his country so you know if you're looking to fit somebody up for an assassination on the uh, on the president then he definitely has a kind of backstory that would make him a prime candidate and we see how Wahlberg is sort of tricked into getting involved into this assassination by being asked to actually help prevent the assassination so we see yeah, him trying... they use his patriotism against yeah. him Exactly. So we see him trying to sort of work out how who he thinks the sniper might be doing it. So they they get this sort of footage of him reconning the sites, which they then release to the media. I thought that was quite clever. That was very clever, actually. I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, that was very, that was very good. But there did seem to me a few sort of plot holes in their frame up. I don't know if you spotted those as well. Well, one of the ones I thought was particularly odd. So. You know, spoiler alert, but the idea of this was not to actually kill the president, but to kill, I think, was the, was it the president of Ethiopia? The, or The Archbishop of Ethiopia. Archbishop of Ethiopia, because he's, uh, I think he's, he's standing in the way um, of, an in, oil in, of an oil pipeline back in his hometown. So the idea, in order to not set tongues wagging, is to pretend that someone had tried to kill the president. So when he's at a, a rally, a meeting... And he's introducing him. People, everyone thinks someone's tried to kill the president. They've accidentally killed the archbishop and therefore no one questions it. I mean, just if he's in Ethiopia, I'm sure you could just set up some sort of accident to his car or something <laughs> without so many prying eyes. No one would give a, a monkeys about what goes on there. But no, let's do it in the full glare of all, all the TV and all the people around and have all the security issues to deal with because he's right next to the president, which must make it so much harder to do that job. <laughs> So yeah, you got to you got to kind of think about the logic of this. Doesn't I don't doesn't wash for me. I have to say I'm I am of a of a similar opinion to my uh, to you, Dara. That uh, it would did seem as if killing this guy in Ethiopia would be an awful lot easier than uh, you know killing him in the United States whilst he stood right next to possibly the most well-protected man on the exactly. planet but such uh, we can you know perhaps suspend our disbelief for that but what i did start to struggle to sort of suspend my disbelief is that obviously you know a key part of framing up mark Wahlberg, you know revolves around actually having him in and near the site of the assassination attempt and you know Wahlberg agrees to kind of scope out how he might or how how an expert sniper might try and kill the president but then Danny Glover has to say oh why don't you hang around why don't you stick around you know because you'd be really useful on the day and you know what if Mark Wahlberg had said you know what I just want to get back to my you know mountain <laughs> cabin and you know turn him down what would what would Danny Glover have done then Oh, I guess we'd be out looking for another Patsy and keep going on and on and on. It's so, I mean, when you start to actually think about how ridiculous it is, it is, it is, bonk, it is a bonkers idea. You need so many things to sort of fall into place to get it to work. Any kind of gap and, you know, it all falls to pieces. And I can't imagine real life conspiracies that have ever been this complicated. Well, I wanted to move the discussion on now to sort of talking about some of the uh, survivalist skills in this movie, because I think both you and I, we were brought up on First Blood. And I think that probably is the film that first introduced us to uh, survivalist skills. And we get to see quite a lot of sub Rambo type action in this movie. Uh, did you enjoy oh, those? Brilliant. Did you enjoy those uh, parts of the film? Absolutely. I love it. As a, as a big fan of uh, 
Bear Grylls, who I'm sure both our UK uh, listeners and US listeners, and also for UK listeners only, Ray Mears, who's a kind of a budget version, a kind of less, he's kind of like a, a Bear Grylls without the fireworks, let's say, making good from the land and whittling things out of this, that and the other. Love those programs. So here we do see a lot of montages of uh, Wahlberg, you know, making pipe bombs out of, you know, it's a bit like the A-Team, I suppose, in a just making bombs out of a plastic can and a piece of string. You know, it's kind of yeah. seemingly implausible. At the end, there's a, some a, quite a, a big action scene where he has to storm the um, house of the, is it a Russian sniper or Eastern European sniper mm. to get some information? And it's surrounded by loads and loads of military personnel and he's, he's laying pipe bombs and stuff everywhere. Basically, they managed to get all this weaponry and bombs and all these sort of technical gear just at your local B&Q or home base. <laughs> You just pop in there with their credit cards, just get a few tins of this and a bit of masking tape, and they've got, like, ready-made explosive. I mean, you've got to take your hat off to Wahlberg. He's a highly trained man, but uh, even that's it's fun, but a bit um, implausible for me. Well, I would like to know if you can actually make napalm out of, you know, (laughs) things that are... Easily available, yeah, that are easily available in home base. But uh, that wasn't something that I wanted to add to my uh, internet search history, so <laughs> I've uh, I've restrained from trying to find out whether that is actually plausible. But uh, yeah, uh, the the ability to build explosives out of a trip to your local DIY store was very exciting to see. Uh, I also liked the improv uh, medical DIY that uh, Warburg yes. does as well, where really? he uh, he makes his own drip and yeah. uh, you know he's stitching himself up. To his own wounds in this movie, I, uh, I, I kind of, you know, he sort of turns from a sniper into Rambo, uh, you know, full-blooded and proper at those particular moments. Is, is it Rambo, the first Rambo, where he actually stitches himself up when he's in the wilderness and he gets it out, or is that current? Always they always yeah. blend into one, but he that's... stitches himself up in in First Blood. Okay, yeah, so. It's ve- they obviously borrow heavily. The first half of the film, I think, I enjoyed the most. It was kind of it all deals with him kind of trying to get away. It's a bit like the bit like the elements of the fugitive. Kind of he's on the run from the police and they're on his tail and he has to be one step ahead, thinking of different ways. Obviously, he's injured. He gets shot twice and how he treats his wounds and where does he go to get himself back into a position where he can he can clear his name. Those for me were the most tense and enjoyable bits. Then it's like to towards the end which we'll talk about it starts to go a little bit silly and uh it's less and less enjoyable for me but i was quite taken with the first half it was quite tense for me and you really feel like he's on the run and everyone's Mm. out against him so kudos for the start of the film Yes, because that part of the film is quite low tech. And so he's reliant on his ingenuity, his imagination to get himself out of that particular situation. And uh-huh. I think, you know, I kind of always enjoy that type of emphasis on, I guess, person's intelligence rather than yeah. on fancy tricks and gimmicks. Definitely. Well, let's move towards the ending of this movie, because I had a few problems with the ending. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I felt that this film, it kind of should have finished at this sort of big set piece sequence that takes place on top of a mountain. I don't know if you absolutely one hundred percent ended there. It kind of had like three endings because mm. it had this the big sequence where they all meet on the top of a mountain and Wahlberg managed to actually kill all the people by sniping them from from a distance and it, it's quite dramatic it's quite good but they decide to kind of continue the film on and that he doesn't 
you you would imagine like the FBI then, you know, because he radios ahead to get the FBI to meet them on this hill after he's got all the evidence. I didn't really understand why he, he would burn his evidence. He said something about they would just whitewash the whole thing and put him in prison. But I mean, it's surely, surely it's a much better risk worth taking than what he does in the end, which is go to someone's house and kill everyone and expect not to be caught. I mean, he's target number one at the end because he's just been mm. at a not congressional hearing, but he's just been to the director of the FBI who who knows that these people have framed him up. And then the next moment he's gone to their house and killed them all. I mean, how is that a sensible, <laughs> how do you think you're going to get away with that? So it's not, it's like, cause yeah, there's the, there's the scene on the, on the uh, mountaintop. Then there's like a congressional hearing. Uh, mm. we, we're not, not full congressional hearing, but it's got the FBI agent there. Yeah. And then there's another, and then there's the ending, which where he in cold blood basically kills everybody. It just seems like didn't know, they didn't know when to end the film or what. Well, it's like it's over two hours long. You could have cut yeah. at least. It would have been a much leaner and sort of a more satisfying film, I think, if they just chopped one of those endings off. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think they could have chopped two of those endings off. I, I, I think they could have easily wrapped that film up on the mountain, and I think it would have been much more satisfying. I, I agree with you that congressional hearing scene. There are some contrivances that happen within that scene that are somewhat credulity stretching. I agree with you. Why did he destroy that evidence that would clear him? I know it is, as he says, dynamite, but the powers that be will make that disappear. You know, that's still a bargaining chip to help get you out of this situation exactly. in the sense that you know the story so they'll let you go if you keep your mouth shut I would have had much more um, belief in that particular scenario but uh, they did, you, the... did you buy the, the ending where, where he's in the meeting he's exonerated because the gun that he has doesn't mm. actually shoot bullets did you actually really understand that? I didn't fully understand. Yeah, he's gone every time he leaves. He he changes the firing <laughs> or something. Well, this is what I mean by this that sequence relying on a number of quite ridiculous contrivances. So what they're, what they're saying with the whole gun bit is that they're saying that that rifle was the rifle that was used to kill the Archbishop of Ethiopia. But what Mark Wahlberg proves in that scene is that it couldn't have been. The rifle that killed him because he had removed the firing pin from that rifle and replaced it with one that didn't work so that it wouldn't why would fire. you do that why would you do why would you do when you leave home you change a firing pin every single time you leave home okay someone's going to go to your house and take your gun it's so implausible <laughs> and ridiculous it's well, so ridiculous i think it is just as ridiculous as you this is what i'm saying about the you know it relies on on a series of oh. contrivances which are just quite frankly ridiculous but yeah. um it cut that bit out completely and yeah it would have oh, for better. sure although it does mean that we can then have this epilogue sequence where mark Wahlberg then let's just say he gets justice or whatever for <laughs> uh, for himself and for the viewer but i did enjoy the the classic villain trope where you know if you see two villains and they're laughing too much you know, yes. you know they're just about to get their comeuppance. If they have it, if they're chomping on a cigar and having a whiskey and laughing at the, <laughs> how how great they are and how stupid <laughs> everyone else is, they're going to get done. Simple as that. I'm pretty much within like two or three nanoseconds. You know that it isn't <laughs> going to be stretched out over uh, over a particularly long period of time. But uh, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed seeing that hoary old trope trotted out once again. Yeah, it's quite good. I do like the kind of that takes me back to sort of 80s villains, how they're so over the top. I actually quite enjoyed that little bit. It's, it's a you know, I want my villains to be ridiculous. I don't mind the villains being ridiculous. The plot, I'd like I take a bit more seriously. Now, there is one random bit that I wanted to just sort of get your view on, Dara, which was there did seem to me a point in this film where Mark Wahlberg disguises himself as a black man. Did you 
did you think the same thing as me? Did you notice that bit? I think you're getting confused, and I, 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 with the risk of offending a lot of people, I think what you're referring to is when he tries to be, uh, he's actually a mechanic. Because that the scene where he mm. hides, he's actually a garage, and he dresses up in a uniform, and then he's putting oil on his face, so it looks like he's just been to a, you yeah. know, he's just done a day's job. And, uh, he's but, he, but he also then he also then puts a do rag on his head he as well. Does put a do rag on, which kind of um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a yes. I, I, he's not a very convincing black guy. I have to say, <laughs> he looks okay as a mechanic. If that, I don't know what he's going. Maybe he's going for a black mechanic. Not quite sure. He, I mean, I mean, they he bought it. Police cars went by the window and they didn't pull him over. So. Other than he can't have been disguising himself as a black man because you know any any black man driving a car they're just going to get pulled over by the cop for and it. shot. That's quite yeah, it's a good point actually. Well, good yeah, point. Uh, that, yeah, I I think I've talked myself out of my own uh, argument there. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break to reload our rifles, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at some very controversial exploding helicopter action. You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. We're reloaded and ready to look at the exploding helicopter action. The key scene happens after Wahlberg tracks the assassin down to a remote countryside cabin. Unfortunately, he's been set up once again, and heavily armed soldiers, along with a helicopter, move in to kill him. Wahlberg retreats to a nearby ridge under heavy fire. It doesn't look like he's got the firepower to knock out the chopper, but after spotting a fuel tank, Wahlberg improvises by blowing it up with a rifle shot. The fireball damages the helicopter, which veers off. As Marky Mark makes his escape, we see the helicopter disappear behind a tree line before crashing into the ground and exploding. Dara, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? Well, I know you're really up. I know this really upset you, Will, but I actually quite enjoyed the scene as a whole. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I, I liked it because at that point in the film, it's sort of three quarters of the way through and it's kind of a big action sequence. He's up against, he's only got a few bullets left and he's been strafed by his helicopter with two guys on, on turrets shooting at him. So he's only got a few bullets and, you know, he spots his petrol tank, waits to the helicopter just directly above it, shoots the tank, the flames, it fills the screen, it's absolutely beautiful, takes out the helicopter and then you see the helicopter sort of waving, you know, that, that lovely thing with the, Will it go down? Won't it go down? It wavers around for quite a bit, smoke bellowing from it. And it goes on for quite a bit. You don't think. So they cut to another scene with them running away. You think, well, hang on, I'm not I'm not actually seeing the helicopter. Is it going to reappear? And then it explodes. However, it does explode quite badly behind a tree line. Obviously CGI. I don't know on a budget this big why they decided to do that money shot in that way because it, I guess they were not really concentrating. They just wanted to see them sort of escape through the forest. But you could have you could have done it in a much better way. That end explosion is very very poor. 
I agree with your sort of wrap-up sentiment there that it is hard to fathom why they deprived us of that money shot because this comes at the end of a sequence where Wahlberg has gone like full Rambo. He's killed a small army. This should really be the scene's coup de grace, but they decide to kind of hide it behind this tree line and the the explosion is only there for a few seconds. Very brief, yeah. I, I, I kind of thought that, you know, this should be the climax to that particular sequence in the movie and... And uh, they sort of fluffed it, I thought, a bit. Yeah, you, you don't get that in Rambo when the tank goes up against the helicopter. Mm. You get a proper explosion on that one. Certainly it's do. a set piece, as you would uh, expect for this sort of thing. So, uh, I mean, there are a lot of explosions in this film. So obviously, is it to Anthony Farquhar doesn't particularly consider the exploding helicopter the uh, the peak money shot of a film. He's got other other explosions to fry, so to speak. To make a few positive remarks about this exploding helicopter sequence, I do appreciate the clever improvisation that Mark Wahlberg comes up with in order to get rid of the uh, whirlybird. And I did actually enjoy the emotional resonance of this sequence because in the midst of this helicopter attack, uh, Wahlberg has a flashback to a sequence that takes place at the beginning of the film where a helicopter kills his uh, friend. So Spotter, yeah. His spotter. So this helicopter sequence does have uh, an added emotional resonance, which I did appreciate. But, you know, having built it up in that way, I think then to deprive us of the full fiery glory was a bit of a mistake yeah and also let's not forget that the scene you referred to at the beginning we don't see that helicopter go down either so to recap he's basically out in the wilderness him and his spotter and um all hell breaks loose and he another situation where he's running out of bullets he has to stop this helicopter and he managed to shoot the one of the uh, the rotor uh rotor blades at the top and we see the same sort of thing with a helicopter veering from left to right and smoking. But we then cut to three years later and he's got a ponytail and a beard and he's washed up. <laughs> and we don't, we don't really know. Obviously, the helicopter must have got down, you know, must have uh, mm. exploded because he's managed to get away. But they failed to show that as well. So that's two nice explosions that, you know, he's, he's dropped the ball on. Uh, the only thing I can think that, you know, Fuqua was considering in that particular choice was that, you know what, I'm doing a helicopter explosion later in the film. I don't want to kind of show my hand too early. So, you know, I don't want to kind of peak too too soon in this film. So I'll kind of, I won't show that one because we're going to be doing this other sequence later in films. That's the only reason I can think. Yeah, he's not he's not a less is more director though, is he? Weird not why really. he picks... The, the, the ones where, you know, you could get the most impact, he decides actually not to show. Because there's, I actually really like the um, pipe bomb explosions with all the soldiers getting blown up into, uh, mm. into like, balls of flame. That was actually amazing. I don't think I've seen something as nicely done as that. Uh, it all looked really real as well, and, you know, actors flailing around in flames. So he can do explosions amazingly well. He just decides not to. Not to when there's a helicopter involved. So I know. You're going to have that... to get over it, Will. It's done now. <laughs> it's done it. It's 2007. It's a long time. Move on. Well, I've got a couple of other notes, which I think it's worth uh, mentioning here, which, uh, as, as we were talking about the director, Antoine Fuqua, uh, Dara, did you know that he directed the videos for uh, Gangster's Paradise? And... <laughs> And and also, I know you're a big Prince fan. He also directed the video for The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Did he really? He that did. That is so strange because I, do, I remember the video uh, and it's the sort of far away as you can get from conspiracy action thrillers, which he's kind of known for. 
Um, I guess a lot of a lot of directors do go from like adverts or music video. Uh, Spike Jones is quite a well-known example mm. of, of going learning their trade in those things where it's quite fast-paced and you've got to know your onions and then to go into feature films. So um, I, I, I suppose that I, I'm not hugely surprised, but interesting his choice of uh, early work, let's say. But one one thing I wanted to mention, Will, which we've not discussed, and I think it really is the very very unsettling part of this film what is wrong with danny glover's mouth in this film <laughs> well what is, is he wearing with... is he wearing braces well what is wrong with his voice i mean his his voice is so bizarre in this film it's it's it's, it's like a croaking whisper it's like he's he's, like a li- he's lisping isn't he i don't know what he's doing it's like he's on his deathbed and he's slowly expiring or something he looks like the sort of man he's he's, wa- he's wearing braces now I, I didn't I didn't go back and have a look at the film, but I hope maybe the mm. exploding helicopter community can review Shooter and just check Danny Glover's mouth out because I think <laughs> he had I think he's got some like midlife crisis braces in okay. uh, uh, that and, and that explains his weird weird lisp that he's got for his films very unsettling I don't didn't like it. But uh, I just want to sort of wrap up this section of the film by just mentioning uh, Mark Wahlberg, because he's somebody we've met before in the Exploding Helicopter canon. And uh, I know that uh, you watched the film Three Kings, where a very good Exploding Helicopter in that film. So Wahlberg is a a funny one because... He's he's not he he, he kind of polarizes opinion. He's a bit like J- uh, Jeremy Jenner. What's his name? Der- Jeremy <laughs> Jenner. Je- Jeremy Jenner. <laughs> Jen- Jenner. Jenner Jameson. What is, um, Do you mean Jeremy uh, Renner? Jeremy Renner. <laughs> I put them in the same kind of theme. Jeremy Jenner. Jeremy Jenner. That people really like them or people really hate them and can't stand them. Mar- I don't mind Marvel, but I can do I can deal with him. I think he's all right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Mark Wahlberg is something of an exploding helicopter icon because he was in Three Kings where we see a, a helicopter blown up by Ice Cube throwing a American football with a um, grenade inside it or a, uh-huh. a sort of dynamite stuck on the outside of it. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was also in The Other Guys where we see a helicopter destroyed by golf balls. Golf balls, and yeah. He was also in Lone Survivor where we see a uh, uh, an RPG go... I can only describe this as up the backside of a helicopter. <laughs> I suppose in the here's the 2000s answer to Sylvester Stallone. If you want a tough, convincing action man, then you would go to maybe it's not Stallone, maybe Schwarzenegger. But has he got the charisma of a Schwarzenegger? Maybe not. Well, I mean, he, Mark Wahlberg can deliver a line of English, so I, I think he's got some advantages over uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's racist. <laughs> and on that controversial note, I think it's time to wrap this mother up. Dara, thanks for joining me once again. Pleasure, mate. This was uh, this. I will be extending my tenure for another podcast at least. Well, don't forget, I haven't forgotten your promise to help me review a uh, Miller Jovovich movie. So uh, that's coming up in your very near future, my friend. I can't wait. 2018, roll on. As always, please go and check out the Exploding Helicopter website. We've got lots of reviews and statistics and information about helicopter explosions in film over there. If you enjoy listening to the show, tell your friends, give us a plug on social media or leave us a review on iTunes. We'll be back soon. But until then... Keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. I'm bad with a poodle shooter and a makeshift silencer, huh? Let me toss these boys in the water. You shut me up and you use me as bait. You think? Flushed them out, didn't it? Kind of hoping to keep one alive, but they were kind of determined to kill you. You can hire a good lawyer, and I'll call a bureau. They can work out some kind of deal. This is explainable. You can prove it. You didn't shoot the archbishop. I don't think you understand. These boys killed my dog. <laughs> 